Welcome to Tribe Talk, where we focus on the topics that will help you improve your mental, physical, and spiritual well-being. I'm Dr. Elena Villanueva, and helping people improve their mental health is my passion. I'm Ann Hutera, and nutrition is my passion. Together, we invite you to be a part of our tribe and learn how addressing the root causes of your symptoms can bring you improved health and wellness. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the next hour of Tribe Talk. Everybody and welcome to this edition of Tribe Talk. We got Dr. V here. I'm Ann, and we got a very special guest today, Ari Witten. We're so excited to have him here with us on Tribe Talk. We got a lot we're going to get to today. Uh, but first, let me tell you about Ari. He's a best-selling author and creator of the Energy Blueprint System. He's an energy and fatigue specialist who focuses on taking an evidence-based approach to energy enhancement. He's also the host of the extremely, extremely popular Energy Blueprint podcast, which brings together leading experts on the subjects of fatigue and energy enhancement. A lot more we could say about you, Ari. You're just super awesome. Thanks for taking the time to be here with us today. My pleasure. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yes, we're we're super excited. And, you know, for, for all of our followers, for all of those who love listening to our podcast, I'm sure that you have already heard about Ari from us because we love Ari. We love the work that he's doing and the message that he puts out there for people. He is a speaker of truth and he has a, a you know great mission just as we do to help people to regain their health, to regain their vitality, to maintain autonomy over their body, which is a really, really big topic these days. Um, and uh, today we're really going to be focused on um, talking about the role of light in health and energy. So I'm super excited about this, Ari, because, you know, there are a lot of different topics that we could talk about that you and I are both very, very well versed in and that we educate people on. When it comes to the role of light in health and energy, a lot of people don't know, you know, exactly what that even means. So, you know, why should people care about light therapy and what can it do for us? Yeah, great question. So, you know, this is, I think, one of the biggest sort of um, secrets within health science as it exists today as of 2021, where I would say the vast majority of the population and even the vast majority of uh, health practitioners and doctors are just unaware of the, the, the central critical role that light plays in human health. We all, you know, light has this kind of weird, this weird, um, I don't know, obviously we're all aware of light. We all know it's there. We all know that plants depend on light. We all know that we depend on light to see things. And, you know, we turn on a light switch in a room and light is the absence of darkness. And that's, and we know plants photosynthesize and use these photons of light to, to create more plant matter and build themselves. Um, but most of us are entirely unaware that humans also depend on light. Now we may, some people have some, some inkling of an idea that, that we have some relationship with light in the sense of, oh yeah, you know, sun exposure, vitamin D, right? And, and vitamin D is often synonymous with sun exposure, right? 
And then from there, it's often, well, yeah, okay, I didn't get my sun exposure, but I, I popped my vitamin D pill, and so I'm covered, okay? Or maybe someone has maybe one layer of knowledge beyond that, and they're aware of, let's say, circadian rhythm. Yeah, I know that light entering my eyes at night, if I you know, spend too much time in front of the TV or cell phone or computer, that that light somehow is disturbing this biological clock in my brain, and that's throwing off my sleep. And, you know, that's really as far as most people's sense or knowledge of the role, the relationship of, of light exposure and human physiology goes. But it's so much deeper than that. And even if you just consider those two layers, and we're going to talk about more, but just considering those two layers alone, um, let's talk about vitamin D first. So what is actually happening there? Well, photons of light from the sun, specifically one part of the, the spectrum, which is the UVB, ultraviolet B part of the spectrum, those photons of light hit our skin where they cause a chemical reaction that leads to the synthesis of what we call vitamin D, but is actually a hormone. And that hormone regulates over 2000 genes in our body that are involved in musculoskeletal health and immune health and regulating inflammation and immune tolerance so we don't develop autoimmunity and many, many more aspects of our physiology. Now, even just that is pretty amazing. The fact that the human physiology is almost in a way analogous to how we think of, how most people think of plants. It's turning light photons into this other chemical substance inside of our body that's regulating over 2000 genes and obviously plays a huge role in immune health, which is a big key to what's going on right now. Um, so even just that should blow your mind about how magical this relationship is of sun exposure, light exposure and human physiology. But then there's this other layer of circadian rhythm, which is we have photons of light in this other part of the spectrum, which is mainly the blue spectrum, to some extent, the green spectrum. Um, so if, if that sounds weird to people, just think of going outside on a, on a sunny day and looking up at a blue sky. That's visible blue light, wavelengths of blue light, that part of the spectrum that are entering your eyes. Well, when those photons of light hit certain receptors in your eyes, they're changed into nerve impulses, which are transmitted back into the brain in a specific part of the brain called the suprachiasmatic nucleus that regulates our circadian rhythm, our central biological clock, this 20, this 24 hour biological clock that regulates our wake and sleep cycles. This is the reason why every night you, through no volition of your own, get sleepy and then enter an entirely different state of consciousness for eight hours every night, hopefully eight, hour, eight hours. <laughs> And then, and then through, again, no volition of your own, the reason that you wake up the next morning and enter into waking consciousness. And that central clock regulates tons of different hormones and neurotransmitters that influence everything from your wakefulness and your sleep cycles to your energy levels, to your mood, to your brain function and ability to focus, to uh, hormones that impact on basically every aspect of your physiology when you start talking about cortisol and melatonin and testosterone and and many other hormones that are impacted by the circadian rhythm um there there, there is a widespread 
systemic impact of on your physiology, on every aspect of your physiology, from brain health to heart health to gut health to your body composition to your energy levels and mood, everything is impacted just by looking at those two mechanisms. And that, and those two mechanisms again are UV light and vitamin D and circadian rhythm. And that is actually just scratching the surface. There's so many other layers of what's going on as far as uh, how we derive benefits from sun exposure. Um, but to summarize this, and then we can get more into detail, um, what, I'm, what I'm really suggesting to you and what I want people to wrap their heads around is that just like we can, just like humans need certain nutrients from our diet in order to be healthy, in order for our cells to function, not just optimally, but in order for them to function normally, not abnormally, they need certain amounts of, of nutrients. We need to not be deficient in the macronutrients and carbs and fats and proteins. And we need to have good quality carbs, fats, proteins, fiber, things like that. And we need to have um, adequate amounts of a wide array of vitamins and minerals. And if we don't have that, we have malnutrition. In the exact same way, our bodies, human physiology is, is required. It, it requires certain light nutrients. It requires adequate dosages of certain parts of the spectrum of sunlight. And if you're not giving that to your body, and most people aren't, then you have malillumination, which is the equivalent of malnutrition, but in terms of light. I love that malillumination. I hadn't even thought about that. And, you know, what you're saying is absolutely so true. So um, I was um, speaking with someone yesterday, very near and dear to me, who's very, very sick. And uh, I was talking to her about going outside. I told her, get outside, go sit in the Adirondack chair and in the dappled, in the dappled, you know, sunlight, if you're not, you know, if you don't want to be in the direct sunlight, just even in dappled, just sit there, put some, um, I told her to put some Joe Dispenza meditation, you know, on, uh, from YouTube. I said, find that and just close your eyes and get out in the sun for 20 minutes, zero sunscreen, just sit out there, put your head up and just relax and be in the sun. She's really, really sick. And I feel that the sun, well, I know that the sun can be, you know, can provide her a lot of those other types of nutrients. And so I love that you use that term. I actually have not heard that term, malillumination. Yeah, well, I, I can't take full credit for it. It was actually coined by uh, a guy named Jonathan Ott, I think back all the way in the 1950s. Okay. He, he was the first guy to actually start to uncover this relationship of light and human physiology. And um, he wrote a book. What was the name of that book? Funny enough, my dad actually shared an original copy of, that he had since he, was, uh, since he was a teenager back in the 1960s. He actually found this just a few months ago in one of his old, his old uh, little you know, uh, boxes. And he found one of the original copies of the first, first edition of that book printed in the 50s um, or early 60s. Basically, that bunch of research looking at kinds of and how it influences people's mood um, and looking at animal studies and rats where they put the, the cage of rats in different lighting conditions in you know, exposure to natural light or exposure to just fluorescent light. And they showed, they observed all these profound effects in terms of their function, their energy levels, their mood, 
their uh, incidence of cancers and, and so on and so forth. So he's the original guy who coined that term all the way back in the 50s or 60s. And uh, it's mostly been forgotten. And most, most people are totally unaware of any of that research. Um, but yeah, it was his. But the rest of it is, um, you know, we all know nutrition is important, sleep is important, and uh, exercise is important. And we need to start putting light exposure into that same category as being just as important as those other things. And I, I love, Ari, how you explained that so beautifully and simply and really help drive home the importance of, of light in all of those things you just mentioned. What is the difference in red light therapy? A lot of people using that now, using near-infrared light therapy to biohack and to really help optimize their health. What role does that play? Kind of talk about how that comes into the picture here. Yeah, absolutely. So um, as you guys probably know, I wrote a book on that a couple of years ago, which is kind of the, it's pretty much become the book on the subject other than actual medical textbooks for medical professionals. But for the general public, it's sort of the book on the subject. Um, it was this weird thing where I had been researching that and playing with it, experimenting with it for over a decade. And uh, you know, it wasn't more widely known given there's over 5,000 studies on it. And I saw their book on it and I'm like, well, you know, I've been learning about this stuff for 10 years. I guess I should write a book on it, you know, since no one else has done that. And, uh, and so I wrote a book and it's been uh, hugely popular ever since. But um, basically, red and near infrared light therapy are another part of the spectrum of sunlight. And, uh, and we also have now different red and near in infrared light therapy devices. For a long time, it was just in the form of laser devices. And that's part of the reason it was so little known is because all those devices and you only find them in doctor's offices, physical therapists, chiropractor's offices. So there was no accessibility to the general public. But um, a little over a decade ago, it became common for people to, or it became more available, I should say, with the, the invention of LED light therapy, with the invention of LED technology, that you could get that technology not in the form of lasers, but in the form of just LED panels, which lowered the cost from you know 10,000 plus down to 400 plus. Mm -hmm. So that changed everything and then made this whole technology accessible to the general public. So what is it? Um, it's another part of the spectrum. So we have, if you, if somebody wants to look this up, they can, I recommend doing a Google image search for the electromagnetic spectrum. And on one end of the spectrum, you're gonna see things like X-rays and gamma rays, um, same kind of X-rays that they use in the hospital to take you know, imaging of, of bones and joint spaces and that sort of thing. Uh, and after that, you'll start to move into a few other types of wavelengths and then into the ultraviolet part of the spectrum, which is mostly just outside of humans' ability to, to perceive with our eyes. And then you move into the visible light spectrum, which are the colors of the rainbow, okay, Roy G. Biv, as we all learned in, in uh, elementary school. Um, and that goes from, so you move from ultraviolet into blue, then green, yellow, orange, 
red, and then we exit the uh, visible part of the light spectrum, what humans, what the, the human eye and brain system has evolved to be able to actually see. And then it moves into near infrared, mid infrared, far infrared. Okay. And then other things like radio waves, for example, are also on that spectrum. Um, the near infrared up is all invisible to the human eye, but near infrared and red are essentially the same thing in terms of their their effects on human physiology. So, so what are those effects? Uh, well, there's over 5,000 studies now looking at the effects of red and near infrared light on human physiology, showing that they can do a, an, a huge array of amazing things. Everything from improving brain health, to stimulating fat loss, to improving recovery from exercise, stimulating muscle growth, to um, what else? It's, all, it's used in a number of obscure medical conditions like to treat mouth ulcers that happen uh, or what's called oral mucositis in response to chemotherapy. It's used to treat non-healing ulcers uh, in people with diabetic ulcers and non-healing wounds. It's used to treat, to stimulate bone healing and tendon healing and healing from all kinds of injuries, everything from uh, tendon and ligament injuries to skin scrapes and wounds. It's used for, um, skin anti-aging. So it stimulates collagen production in the skin and decreases wrinkling uh, and a number of other benefits. Um, and one of the common things that, that I hear people say when you know, I kind of list off all these, this wide array of benefits, everything from fat loss and you know, preventing hair loss to healing wounds and increasing um, you know, reco recovery from exercise and improving brain health, People are like that, you know, that sounds like snake oil. That sounds like a panacea. How could something possibly, you know, have so many different benefits on so many different uh, aspects of, of our physiology? And the answer is, is lies in how it works. It works by stimulating mitochondria to work more efficiently and to produce energy better. And mitochondria are the cellular energy generators that produce the vast majority of energy that powers virtually all of the trillions of cells in our body, from your brain, to your heart, to your organs, to your muscles and your skin and just about everything. And so if you can do something that helps those cells produce more energy, whether those cells that we're talking about are skin cells or thyroid gland cells or muscle cells or bone cells or brain cells, those cells will do their job better, whatever their job is. If their job is to produce thyroid hormone, thyroid hormone they'll do it better. If their job is immune regulation and having a, a strong immune, contributing to a strong immune response, they'll do that better. If it's to produce um, you know, protein synthesis in the muscle tissue in response to exercise, they'll do that better, right? So improving mitochondrial health translates into improved function of whatever tissue that we're talking about. And that's fundamentally what this does. We can talk more in detail about the specific mechanisms, but that's fundamentally what's going on is that it's improving mitochondrial function and um, by virtue of that, making cells work better.
Yeah. Yeah. I love how you describe that. And then, you know, that also takes me back to, you know, for our listeners is taking, uh, taking us back to, you know, your body synthesizes vitamin D when it is in the sunlight and that that vitamin D is driving over 2000 different chemical reactions in your body. And, and, you know, one of the other analogies that I, that I like to use is, you know, we have millions of chemical reactions going on in our body. I mean, we are like a chemistry factory. There's all these things going on all the time, you know, that is, that is not um, in our conscious awareness. And um, these chemical reactions typically have drivers. So, you know, we call those catalysts, things that make the reaction to happen. And I like to use the analogy of if you're going to make a cake, you take like five different ingredients and then you apply the catalyst, which is heat. You put it in the oven, you apply the heat, and then the chemical reaction happens. Mm -hmm. And so sunlight is, for those of you listening, sunlight is one of the catalysts for, you know, it's one of the drivers for thousands of chemical reactions in our body. And so we can be putting all the right ingredients in, you know, we can put all the minerals and all the vitamins and all the amino acids, which come from protein, you know, it's the building block of our DNA and every cell and tissue in our body. We can put all the right ingredients in, but we have to have catalysts as well. And one of the biggest, most important catalysts we have is oxygen and sunlight. So like mm -hmm. we have to have those two things, right? And so, and I, I, I love how you describe that. Um, can you tell us um, what are some of the, you know, unless we miss this, unless I missed this, but like, what are some of the mechanisms of actions in our body? Like if we're kind of talking about that, is there mm -hmm. anything else that you wanted to add in that? Yeah, aspect? absolutely. So um, we can break it down into, four or five different mechanisms. Um, and a couple of them are more speculative, but really cool to think about. So one, one thing that used to be thought commonly for a long time was that the way that this worked is simply just photons of light stimulate the mitochondria to produce more energy. And that is actually true. There's a, a receptor on the mitochondria uh, called cytochrome C oxidase that is light sensitive. In other words, it responds to photonic energy. So these little tiny photons of light are hitting our mitochondria. And when they hit that cytochrome C oxidase receptor, it stimulates the mitochondria to actually produce more energy. And for a long time, many people thought, including myself years ago, that, that that was the primary thing that's going on. It's just, hey, light means more energy production. Um, but turns out that's quite a, quite a bit of an oversimplification. So what, even if that's true, which it is, it's a short-lived effect. And yet we know from thousands of studies that we don't just have a short-lived effect of increased energy production for a few moments while you have the light on it. You actually have um, a long-lived effect from doing, let's say, a session that lasts 10, 20, 30 minutes, you have a, an effect that lasts days or sometimes even longer than a week. Okay, so how could that possibly be? Well, the first layer, again, just photons stimulating cellular energy production. There's also a layer of this where um, nitric oxide can come in, and this is another kind of gas that's inside of our, inside of our cells. 
And if we have too much stress of various kinds, we can get too much nitric oxide production inside of the cell. And that can sort of block, it, it binds to the mitochondria in the same place that oxygen is supposed to bind. And so when you have too much nitric oxide there, it shuts down the ability of the mitochondria to use oxygen efficiently. Well, what red light and near-infrared light do is they, they boot out the nitric oxide so that the cells can use oxygen to produce energy efficiently. Okay, so that's one layer. Just think red and near-infrared light stimulate mitochondrial energy production. Another layer is that they actually create a hormetic effect. Hormesis is uh, a how a transient metabolic stressor actually stimulates adaptations that make the cell grow stronger. So one of the ways that this works, so it, it, just to, to make that more clear, exercise is the sort of quintessential example of this, um, but also things like sauna exposure, cold exposure, fasting, uh, different kinds of phytochemicals, uh, breathing practices, breath holding practices, or intermittent hypoxic training, which I've been talking a lot about lately, is, uh, is another form of hormetic stress that creates a transient metabolic stressor that actually makes your cells grow stronger. But again, exercise is the quintessential example of this. Red and near-infrared light also do this. They create a transient increase in ROS, reactive oxygen species, or people can think of them as oxidants, okay? Um, I don't wanna to digress too much here, but you know, the, the gist of this is people have historically thought of oxidants bad, antioxidants good, and it's actually a, a great, a, a huge over, oversimplification to think in those kinds of terms because reactive oxygen species actually play a vital role as signaling molecules to, um, for example, in the context of exercise, to help the cells respond to that increase of reactive oxygen species or oxidants during exercise that acts as a signaling molecule that helps stimulate adaptations to the exercise that ultimately confer those benefits that you get from exercise, which are, you know, decreased incidence of cardiovascular disease and um, obviously improved endurance and strength, decreased incidence of uh, lung diseases, brain diseases, cancers, on and on and on. All those benefits have actually been shown to be partially or fully negated or canceled out if you cancel out the oxidants, if you can't cancel out the reactive oxygen species. So in other words, if you take uh, antioxidant supplements near your exercise, you will actually counteract and potentially eliminate most of the benefits that you would otherwise get from that, from that exercise. And these were um, experiments that were done several years ago that surprised a lot of researchers. But um, the gist of it is, and hopefully I, that, that was clear in the way I explained it. I'm trying to summarize a, a much larger topic very quickly, but if yeah, it's no, I thought it was good. I mean, so, like I would take what, what you said and um, like how I interpreted it is, um, you know, when we have these stressors, the certain stressors are good, not only good for the body, they're necessary for the body. Yeah. Because this hormesis or this, this type of healthy stress, really, it helps the body to recalibrate constantly to make mm -hmm. it more resilient so yeah. that it can handle 
the, you know, the other types of stressors that may, you know, otherwise consume the body or really make the body sick. So, you know, this, what you're saying is that this type of stress is making the body more resilient because it's, it's, it's causing the body to recalibrate and make it stronger. That's right. Yeah. And a good way of thinking about it is if you've ever broken a bone, a leg or an arm or something like that, and you've had a cast on and you got that cast off four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks later, and then you look down at your arm or your leg, what do you notice? It's, it's half the size as the other one, you know, it's half the size as it was before. And that's because all those muscles atrophy because you weren't using them. Now that same process happens internally inside of the cells at the mitochondrial level. And if the mitochondria are not challenged and stimulated, they atrophy and they shrink. And it's actually been shown that we lose, most people lose about 10% of their mitochondrial capacity every decade of life. So most people between the ages of 20 to 70 lose about 75% of their mitochondrial capacity, okay? But it's also been shown that 70-year-olds who regularly are exposed to hormesis don't lose 75% of their mitochondrial capacity. It's not just a facet of the aging process. It's a facet of, it's a, it's a, it's a function, it's a result of lack of hormesis in your lifestyle. So that, that hormetic stress challenges the mitochondria. That's what keeps your mitochondria big and strong and healthy and robust. So you don't lose them. So they don't atrophy and die off. And the, a big part of what, as, what is actually stimulating that inside of the cell is this transient burst of reactive oxygen species. And red and near-infrared light create that in much the same way that many other types of hormetic stress like exercise do. So that's one of the other benefits. And as you said, it also um, builds up what's called the ARE, the antioxidant response element inside of the cell. This is our internal antioxidant system that buffers and combats a broad range of other stressors. So that confers a lot of, um, it confers resilience to stress. It confers resistance to a broad range of different diseases and anti-aging and longevity benefits. So that's two of the mechanisms. A third one is um, it, it modulates gene expression. So when you have that stressor on the mitochondria, the mitochondria send signals back to the nucleus of the cell and change and, and basically communicate to the nucleus of the cell where the, the genes, where the DNA is stored and say, you need to turn off these genes and turn on these genes, okay? And fundamentally what it's doing there, it typically will turn down the genes that are associated with inflammation like NF-kappa B and it will turn up genes that are essentially growth and regeneration genes, okay, to, to oversimplify. And those genes differ depending on the specific tissue. So in the brain, we have things like brain-derived neurotrophic factor or nerve growth factor. In the muscle cells, we have IGF-1, insulin-like growth factor 1. In the, you know, specific glands like the thyroid gland, we have specific growth factors unique to those tissues. In the skin, we have um, fibroblasts and collagen synthesizing cells. And fundamentally what it's doing is it's upregulating all the growth and regeneration. Genes. And that is why you can have these long lasting effects for days and weeks that go beyond just the, you know, minutes long effect of increasing mitochondrial energy stimulation. 
you're getting a days and weeks long upregulation of the genes involved in stimulating growth and regeneration. So that's a, a major key there. And then beyond that, we could talk about a couple more, uh, more speculative mechanisms, but I, I'll yeah. let you jump in. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I know Anne does have a question um, yeah. for you. I wanted to ask you really quick. Um, I know that we're talking specifically about certain light on the spectrum, which is red and near infrared, which have basically the, the same effect if it's red light or near in, infrared. Um, how much red light is found in the sun? I mean, I know we have what, I, like the whole gamut, like we have the whole spectrum. And so what about people who want to get out and get real sun? Like, like me, I've been told my whole life by my mother um, and my grandmother that I get too much sun and that I'm going to get wrinkly and all of these different things. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a grandmother now. I'm in my fifties. I have zero wrinkles. I do zero Botox and I have spent the majority of my life in probably what many would consider excessive amounts of sun. Um, yet there are like, there's no wrinkles. There's nothing there. And I actually feel better when I'm out in the sun. I won't use sunscreen until, uh, so if I'm going to be out for a long time, if I'm working out on the ranch and I'm on the tractor and I'm going to be outside, you know, I love riding the tractor. I actually got one for my birthday, loved it. It was very exciting. And, and I'm, and, and I'm out there playing on the tractor and I know I'm going to be out for four hours because I've got a lot of work to do. And I'm, so I'm going to be out for more than 20 or 30 minutes when I start to feel that I'm getting too much sun. I mean, you can feel it. You feel like you're burning. That's where I'll go in and I'll put a little sunscreen on. That's a non-toxic one. And I'll cover myself and I'll make sure that I get under the shade of the tractor, but mm -hmm. I've been doing this my whole life and I'm pretty healthy. And I just wonder what feedback do you have as far as sun? Is that a yes or a no? Or like what light rays are we getting from the sun that are good for us? Yeah, great question. So the simple answer is most people are massively deficient in sun exposure, okay? And, and would benefit from exactly the kind of thing that you're talking about. Now, a, a few nuances I'll mention here. Um, one, it depends on your ancestry and your skin type. And the range of what amount of sun exposure that's optimal for you differs dramatically from someone who might be, you know, they might be getting adequate amounts if they get 10 minutes a day to someone who needs hours a day. Okay. And that, you know, that the difference is someone with um, Fitzpatrick skin type one, who's like pasty, especially if you're red hair, um, very pale skin of Northern European ancestry. Genetically, those people have adapted to produce adequate amounts of vitamin D and to function optimally with very, very small amounts of sun exposure. On the other hand, the darker your skin is, and so I'm, I'm right in the middle, I think you probably are too, Elena. Um, my background, I have a lot of Middle Eastern, and what's that? We're yeah. probably three, maybe four, somewhere right. right in there, right on the Fitzpatrick scale. Right, so you know, I have a lot of Mediterranean, North African, Middle Eastern ancestry, some European ancestry, and um, my, my tolerance for it, where I feel healthiest and function best and have most optimal vitamin D levels is typically in the summers with when I'm getting multiple hours of sun exposure almost every day. And 
Uh, and then obviously someone who's of African ancestry who has really dark skin needs even more than that to be optimal. So there's a, a big range there. And the other thing that's, that's really important to understand here, and this relates very much to you, Elena, is that diet plays a huge role in your skin's response to the sun. So we actually are designed to take up certain kinds of phytochemicals, for example, lycopene from tomatoes, certain compounds from pomegranate, um, various kinds of anthocyanins and different kinds of flavonoids in the plant foods that we consume. Um, astaxanthin, which gives the pink pigment to, uh, to salmon, is, uh, which originates from uh, an algae and then gets bioaccumulated in krill, gives them their pink color, gets bioaccumulated in salmon, gives them their pink color, and then gets bioaccumulated in, in us. Okay. Astaxanthin, because it bioaccumulates in the tissues, actually serves as a, an internal sunscreen. So many of these different compounds that we get from the diet act as an internal sunscreen and dramatically influence the sun's UV tolerance, the ability of the sun, the, sun, the, the skin cells, I should say, the, the skin's UV tolerance, to um, the ability of them to tolerate large amounts of ultraviolet light exposure without being damaged, without undergoing DNA damage and accelerated aging, but to take in all those nutrients from the sun and those light nutrients, get the benefits of the sun exposure without creating a lot of damage to the skin cells. And, uh, and then obviously your Fitzpatrick skin, skin type and the ability of your skin to produce melanin, which is the real internal sunscreen of the skin, heavily relates to that as well. Um, there's also, if you look at the research on skin cancer, there's this, this really interesting body of research. The quick summary of it is people who get intermittent sun exposure uh, meaning they don't get sun exposure most days, but every once in a while, let's say every once a week, once every few weeks, they get a lot of sun exposure. That pattern is likely to create skin damage and, and is linked with increased incidence of skin cancer. However, people who are outdoor workers, for example, people who are landscapers, gardeners, people who are construction workers, who spend every day getting hours of sun exposure, do not have increased incidence of skin cancer, of melanoma in particular. And the reason why is because by virtue of getting that regular frequent exposure, their skin has a chance to adapt, build up the melanin, where, which acts as that internal sunscreen that prevents uh, cellular and DNA damage from the, the ultraviolet part of the spectrum. And, despite nine, 10, 15 times more sun exposure than somebody who works indoors in an office, they do not have higher rates of melanoma. In fact, some studies show lower rates of melanoma compared to indoor office workers. So there is this profound relationship of, of again, what, what is the frequency of your type of sun exposure? Are you doing it regularly or irregularly? And uh, and then diet has an enormous influence on that as well. So intermittent sun exposure paired with a standard American diet and lots of sun, not a good idea. A good diet and regular sun exposure is 
a good plan to get lots of benefits from sun exposure. I love that, Ari. And I know you're you're really educating our listeners right now on the importance of light. And that's something they need to think about just like they think about nutrition. The way you, the way you compare those two things, I think is, is really awesome. Let me ask you this. In talking about the red light therapy and the infrared, um, infrared therapy, you mentioned a lot of different reasons that a person may use that. What are the keys um, to using that type of therapy for, for those different goals? So I break it down into essentially two categories of goals that one may have. Um, superficial issues, and I don't mean, I, I mean that like close to the surface of the skin, not as a judgment of, you know, what, what you're using it for. Um, like if it's fat loss, that's very superficial. Um, if it's anti-aging, or cellulite. Really How about cellulite? Can you use it for cellulite? A lot of yes, women, absolutely. a lot of our followers would probably be interested to know. Absolutely. Because cellulite is, is, is sort of a, a breakdown of the cell structure and the collagen structure combined with too much fatty deposits. That's what creates that look. Because uh, red and near-infrared lights stimulate collagen production, they can absolutely help combat that. Um, so it's close to the surface issues versus deeper tissue issues. That's, that's kind of how I break it down. And the, the way to think about that is the, you, let, me, let me give you a point of contrast. So if we look at um, ultraviolet light or blue light, almost none of those photons of light in that part of the spectrum actually penetrate beneath the skin. They, they all, all those photons of light, the blue light, ultraviolet light, they pretty much hit your skin and they stop pretty much right at the surface of your skin. They can't penetrate deeply. Red and near infrared light are unique in that they can go right through the skin, deep into the tissues of the body, actually inches deep into the body. And you can actually see this um, by using a flashlight. In fact, I'll go grab one real quick and I'll show you this. Fascinating. It is. Okay. I love live so, demonstrations. This is awesome. <laughs> so you can see this and you probably did this when you were a kid. Now it, it's much easier to do at night than it is during the day. But if you take a red light flashlight like this, you can see it's a red light flashlight. Um, and you can see, Yep. you could obviously see there's light coming through the gap. You but could you probably even see here maybe. Yeah. 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 Well, at night you can. Yeah. During the daytime, probably not but you can see that going right through my finger. Yeah. Okay, so that's, you know, going through an inch of tissue, including bone. Um, and it's much harder to travel through bone, but here you can see a little bit penetrating through I can. the palm of my hand there. Yeah. Um, so this type of light is unique in that sense that it goes through the skin, it penetrates deep into the tissues of the body. Um, near infrared, this is a bit tricky to understand, but because it's actually invisible, but near infrared actually penetrates more deeply into the body than red does. Now, deeper? did you say that it goes that near infrared goes deeper into the body? Correct. Yeah. Um, so, what what is interesting about that is, well, that that's the first thing to understand is is that that this kind of light penetrates deep into your tissues. So, are we treating surface surface issues or deep tissues? That's the fundamental distinction. Now, just 
even with red and near infrared light, a large portion of that light will be uh, blocked or taken up by the, the, the surface tissues. So if we're trying to, to treat something that is inches deep, we need a stronger light and we need a larger dose of it, okay? That's the fundamental distinction. If you're trying to treat something on the surface, you can get away with a weaker light and lower overall times that you're using it. So let's say you take one of the panels that I recommend. There's a few different companies that I, that I recommend of these lights. I, I also recommend being cautious about which brands you use because there's a lot of crappy brands on the market that are using underpowered lights and that are which lying I wanna, about- Which I wanna hit on some of these before we before we finish today, by the way, to yeah. give us a couple brands. And again, um, I'm familiar with your book, but I wanna definitely talk about that book before we finish today, so. Yeah, happy to. So um, basically, let's say you've got one of those LED panels and let's say your goal is treating the skin. You're, you're looking for anti-aging effects in the skin. Um, that would require with a powerful LED light, maybe only a five to 10 minute session or maybe even less, okay? It, on the other hand, if you're looking to treat deep tissues like internal organs, muscle tissue, if you're trying to use it for fat loss, if you're using it for recovery from exercise and stimulating, amplifying the benefits from exercise, um, you're treating deeper tissues. You want to get as much light as possible down deep beneath the skin into those organs, into the muscles, into the bones. If you're you know, trying to heal a fracture or into the tendons, if you're trying to heal a, a strained tendon or ligament or something like that, deep into the joints, if you're trying to treat arthritis, anything like that, you need longer times of usage. So 10 minutes plus 10, 20, 30 minutes, more in that range. And uh, you ideally want the light to be closer to the tissues that you're treating because the closer it is, the more light will be delivered down into deeper tissues. Um, it makes a huge difference going this far away, let's say six inches versus 12 inches versus 18 inches. It dramatically influences the amount of light that's actually being delivered to the tissues. Um, and then the biggest one to be aware of is if you're trying to treat Anything that's like a deep internal organ, let's say you're trying to treat your liver or your kidneys or something like that, um, or your gut, if you're trying to deliver light into those very deep tissues, uh, it requires a powerful light at close distances for longer periods of time. And the biggest one is actually the brain. So if you're using it for any, any sort of brain related issue, um, that is where it becomes pretty much a necessity to use near infrared light red. You could use a combination of both, but you need some near infrared because there's research showing that um, in order that, that red almost has very little ability to penetrate all the way through bone and near infrared does have the ability to penetrate all the way through bone and deliver uh, light photons to the, directly to the brain on the other side of this thick skull bone that we all have. Okay, that's awesome. Thank you for thank you for talking about that. What kind of since we're talking about, you know, the um, how we need like stronger light for certain things, and we need it closer and longer periods of time. I think this might be a good time to jump into 
a couple of different devices that you could recommend. Maybe there is a device that is um, like a flexible kind of device where, where you can do it both for like superficial type stuff and deeper organ stuff. Um, yeah. Or maybe you need different devices. Can you give us some recommendations? Yeah, ba basically a, a standard LED panel that's powerful will work for pretty much all your needs, maybe with the one exception of it not being the perfect device for brain health. For brain health specifically, there's, you know, if, let's say you have a neurological disorder or you're looking to treat depression or anxiety, something like that. Um, there's a device called a Vi-Lite, B-I-E light, and they have specific devices that strap onto your head and, you know, kind of go through, um, you, they have little, uh, what do you call them? Nodes that you sort of put right on the scalp in between your hair follicles. And, um, and that delivers light effectively to the brain. And there's, there's good research to support that. Um, but in general, uh, you know, I personally don't, don't use one of those. Um, I just use a standard LED panel and it works for pretty much all purposes, everything from, um, you know, skin anti-aging to thyroid health, to treating wounds, to treating, uh, to, to using it after exercise to recover faster and, and amplify the benefits of exercise, fat loss, and, and many other benefits. Pretty much every purpose uh, for, for every type of goal, pretty much you can use that type of light. Um, and the brands that I, that I typically recommend, there's a few good brands on the market. Um, I've partnered with pretty much all of them. Some of them tried to force me into exclusive relationships with them, but I refused because I want to make sure that people know that there are other good brands and I'm not lying to people and saying, Hey, this is the only brand, you know, that exists. Um, so, uh, red therapy co makes a great light. Um, platinum therapy lights also make great lights. Uh, juve makes good lights as well that are, they're just, you know, they're all pretty similar. Juve is quite a bit more expensive, but they definitely make good quality lights. And uh, what else? There might be a couple of, there's, there's definitely other companies on the market and some that I haven't measured yet, but um, what's the other one? There's one in the UK called Red Light Rising. Uh, and there might be a couple others on the market, but those are the ones I typically recommend. What do people need to look out for? Because you had mentioned that earlier. I mean, so if somebody is looking for some light therapy, what is it that they should look out for that they shouldn't get? Yeah. Don't get a, a non-trusted brand is the big thing. Here's, here's a little, there's, there's a little bit of a shady underbelly to something that goes on in the industry, which is a lot of these companies make um, make claims as to the power output of their lights. And they're just not telling the truth about the power output of the light. And because some companies started that practice early on, all the other companies started doing the same thing. Mm. And it created this sort of industry-wide trend of everybody lying about oh, no. the, the, the power output of their devices. And like, it, because it forced other companies to basically say, if they told the truth, then, and the other company's lying, you know, then the other company looks better because they're claiming a power output, a, a total light output, output figure that's, you know, twice as much as the company that's telling the truth. So the, in that scenario, the company that's lying wins, right, from the general perspective. 
The difficulty here is that to actually measure this accurately, it requires a multi-thousand dollar expense to send these lights to a, a laboratory where they actually do these measurements. So because of that difficulty, because of the general cons consumer not being able to do that, you're relying on these companies just to tell you the truth. And unfortunately, most of them are lying. So, and again, there's that sort of cultural standard where everybody's lying and they've all kind of agreed to collectively lie together. Um, the true and so, numbers. And so this is why, this is why your book could be really helpful, a really helpful guide, right? Because I'm, I'm guessing that you do recommend some of the brands that you vetted out. And I'm guessing that you do have that in the book as well as how to use the lights for, you know, for different types of, of, you know, like how to use it as a biohacking tool. Um, yeah. so what's the name of your, what is the name of your book again for everyone? It's called the ultimate guide to red light therapy. Yes. And, and you can find that on Amazon, correct? Uh-huh. Okay. Yep. And yeah, the, you know, it might seem complicated listening to everything I just described and, you know, oh, do I have a superficial issue or, you know, deep issue and how do I use it? It, it probably sounds to a lot of people very complex. The reality of this is very simple. Um, you just pop yourself in front of the light and for five to 20 minutes, you know, and if, if, if you're trying to treat something that's deeper, then you do it for longer. If you're trying to do something that's close to the surface, you know, skin anti-aging or something like that, uh, then you do it for a shorter period of time. You don't need as big of a dose. And so it's really that simple. So I'll give you an example. Um, if I just did a leg workout in the gym or a back workout, then I just plop myself in front of that light and shine that light on the muscles that I just worked out in the gym for 10 or 15 minutes and boom, I'm done. It's, it's really that simple. It's not overly complex at all. Yeah. Well, I want to tell you, thank you. This was amazing. I can't wait to have you back again. You know, uh, there are so many topics that I want to cover with you that I know that our listeners um, will find just super engaging and super helpful. And this one about light, especially as we're getting ready to go into the fall season and in, into the winter, I think this is just absolutely perfect timing. Um, and um, for all of you listening, I will make sure that we also um, can get a link on um, Ari Witten's book uh, put into, you know, so when you go find this, if you want to re-listen to the recording again, we'll make sure that we have a link on Ari's book because guys, you know, if you're, if you're going to do the light therapy, if you kind of have a guide, that's going to help you so much because there's so much out there on Dr. Google and it's not always accurate. And so, you know, go ahead and get the book so that you have the guide. Ari, thank you for joining us. Um, and we look forward to seeing you again soon. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And I'll also mention, I have basically a very short summarized version of the book for free on my website too. If somebody just does a Google or DuckDuckGo search for Ari Witten, Ultimate Guide to Red Light Therapy, and they find it on my site, theenergyblueprint.com. There's a, a very short version of that, of that book on there as well. Oh, that's perfect. Thank you so much. We will, uh, we will talk with you again soon. Thanks, Thanks so much for having me, guys. Thanks.